Welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, the club's vice president of media and editorial. Now I'm pleased to introduce Michelle Miao. She's the producer and host of The Michelle Miao Show, and she's also a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to the club for providing a platform for us to have these types of conversations. I'm so excited about our guest today, actually. I'll be honest with you, he, his voice is probably one of the most important voices that I was following on Twitter uh, with, in regards to what was happening around the country and the election. He's only 18 years old, and we bring up his age over and over again because I don't think there are many 18-year-old election forecasters out there, especially ones uh, who have risen to popularity through Twitter with over 20,000 followers, his incisive, passionate analysis of the election has earned him an opportunity to contribute to uh, you know, blogs and posts such as Decision Desk HQ. Let's welcome Niles Edward Francis to the program. Niles, welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys. So well, I think, you know, let's start with getting to know you a little bit better. Um, how did you get into politics? Or you know, at 18 years old, I would imagine you probably started at five. Mm. Yeah, well, actually, I just turned 19 a few weeks ago, so you know, just a little correction there. Um, Happy birthday! <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. So I've been following politics for quite a long time, going back to when I was like five or six years old. I memorized every American president from George Washington to, at the time, Barack Obama. Um, but I'd say my interest in the more numbers side of things, like what I'm into now, what I like to do now, I'd say that began like right after the 2016 election when I saw, um, you know, the forecasters and like, you know, analysts on TV saying, OK, you need to, um, you know, there's this county that's important, that county, things like that. So just watching those conversations on TV, like, you know, from people like Steve Kornacki and people like that, that kind of, you know, was fascinating and mesmerizing. So I'd say that's where I got my interest in the more numbers side of things. So that's how you got your interest in the numbers side of things. What did you actually do then to uh, delve into it? I mean, did you just what sources of information or what what where do you go to get the the stuff that you're analyzing and looking at? Yeah, well, I read a lot of election analysts websites like Five Thirty Eight, um, you know, you know, the um, Crystal Ball, University of Virginia Center for Politics, um, the Cook Political Report. I started I, start, I started following a lot of those analysts and um, writers, and I, you know, became fascinated by the work that they did. So I'd say that's where it all started. That's where I, you know, got my information from. Mike.com did a pretty comprehensive profile on you and brought up a, a couple things. And I really admired your perseverance, even through, you know, what's happening with the pandemic and then some personal tra tragedies. I mean, what really drives you, what inspires you to keep going, keep doing what you do? I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. The questions that people watching this most are going to want to get right into. Georgia's runoffs. Um, <laughs> let's dive into that. I mean, what what it's it's obviously I'm watching it from afar, but I mean the the money that's pouring in there, the, the all the game playing again of of you know what what counties who's who's going after. So set the stage for those of us who are not in Atlanta consuming all this info at the, all the time. Um, what's going on? What stage of the race is this? Are they, are, they, are is it really intense already right now, or is it all still gearing up? 
Yes, it's very intense. <laughs> it's very intense. So just to set the stage for um, your viewers, so basically Georgia is, the, Georgia is the only state in the country with both of its Senate seats on the ballot this cycle. So we have, Georgia, we have a rule where you cannot, like, you know, you have to get 50% of the vote in order to win the race outright. Like you cannot win with like 49, 48% of the vote. You have to get 50%. So in the situation that we're in is like, you know, we have two Senate runoffs. So um, in the regularly scheduled election, that race features Republican Senator David Perdue, who was elected in 2014. He is running against um, Democrat John Ossoff. John Ossoff, you guys may remember from that blockbuster special election in Georgia's 6th District a few years ago. So that race is going to run off because neither of them got more than 50% of the vote, and that will be held on January 5th. Now, in the special election, we have um, Senator Kelly Leffler appointed. She was appointed to um, fill the remainder of Senator, longtime Senator Johnny Isaacson's term. He re resigned in 2019 due to declining health. He is, uh, she is running to um, fill the remaining, the remaining two years of his term. Um, her opponent is Raphael Warnock, um, an Atlanta pastor. He's the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. That is the church where Martha, Martin Luther King Jr. first started preaching many, many years ago. So that race is shaping up to be very expensive, very contentious. Already there has there have been, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but basically Republicans are um, bringing up um, Warnock's old sermons, and Democrats are trying to use Leffler's uh, stock transactions against her. So that race is shaping up to be very contentious. It's going to come down to the wire. Um, they have agreed to debates. They have agreed to they have agreed to hold debates um, in the regular election. You guys may know that um, David Perdue backed out of those debates, but um, Kelly Leffler has agreed to debate Warnock as many times as she needs to. So, were you? shocked or you did you expect you know that the election results especially for the these senate seats to be as contentious and to result in a runoff well i had a feeling that both of these races were going to go to runoff so i had a feeling i just didn't think that we would be in a situation where um, both runoffs would decide who controls the United States Senate. Like, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not the situation that I envisioned going into this. But then again, this is 2020. So. <laughs> well, it's a great way of putting it because like you said, you, you, you really, some of this was sparked by watching 2016's elections and how the forecasts were, were quite often in a number of places. And this year, even if you weren't expecting a, a democratic, you know, landslide, um, there was a lot of expectations that the Democrats were going to at least perform better than they did in U.S. Senate and U.S. House races. Um, so talk a bit about kind of what you saw there, because the, it, a lot of people are looking at that and saying, oh, this is another fail for polling. Um, and then on the other side, of course, Georgia sort of turned blue, flipped at least for this election. Well, for on, on the presidential race, right. But uh, yeah, get into some of the, the makeup of that. Yes. Yeah, so, like, you know, down ballot was not the night that, you know, it was not the night that Democrats were hoping for. They ended up losing seats in the House and they didn't retake. They didn't, out, you know, take control of the Senate outright. You know, they still have a chance with the Georgia runoffs, but they did not get control of the Senate outright. So um, down ballot, I'd say, what you know, maybe voters just wanted, like, you know, a check and balance in Washington. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's what we saw. Like, you know, everyone was anticipating a a um, Biden landslide, maybe the idea of democratic control in Washington kind of, 
you know, turned off some voters and they just wanted to check and balance in Washington. So maybe that's what we saw down ballot. Maybe, maybe, you know, down, but maybe, maybe voters were just looking for like, okay, we'll vote for Biden because we don't like Trump. We'll vote for Biden, but like, you know, we want a check and balance on him. So, you know, we'll just give him, you know, down, we'll, we'll just vote for down ballot Republicans. I mean, maybe that's what we saw down ballot, but, um, you know, Democrats, they do still have a chance to, you know, retake control of the Senate with these Georgia runoffs. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But if they retake, if they if they were to win both of those runoffs, if we, if they were to win both of those, then um, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris would um, cast a tie-breaking because it would be 50-50. So Vice President-elect Kamala Harris would be casting the tie-breaking vote on several important votes. I heard several discussions go on, you know, people saying that Georgia went blue, didn't really go blue. But one important discussion that I was following was that you know, it wasn't so much about it turning blue, but it was more about addressing voter suppression and a lot of it, you know, the efforts of Stacey Abrams. Um, would love your thoughts around that. And obviously, Stacey Abrams is already geared up, you know, for a big education and informative fight to get voters out there for these runoffs. And your thoughts on how that could impact the turnout uh, come January. Yeah, well, runoffs are very hard to predict because we never know who's going to show up and vote. Like we've seen this several times in Georgia, like runoffs are just incredibly hard to predict. But like, you know, this this time around is is as unpredictable as ever, because like, you know, we have so many factors to consider. Like, you know, we have a pandemic. We have a president who is sowing doubt about mail in voting. And so, you know, it's a lot of it's, it's just a lot of things to consider. But Stacey Abrams. I will say she and her organization have done a lot to educate voters on, like, you know, early voting, mail-in voting. And, like, you know, whether or not she can continue that into these runoffs will be interesting to see. But um, she's already gearing up for a rematch with Governor Kemp in 2022. So um, maybe she's, you know, my theory is that she's using, you know, all of this as like a stepping stone for her 2022 rematch. So. Um. When talking about flipping Georgia, what flipped? I mean, is this something where, you know, the, the, cause Stacey Abrams, she's been at the Commonwealth Club twice. And, and the first time she was here, she was really focusing on the, the factor of reaching out to, uh, progressive voters who have not voted or vote very seldom. Um, and then there are others who are looking and saying, well, what, what got Barack Obama, excuse me, what got, uh, Joe Biden, the title of president-elect, was flipping um, a number of uh, uh, suburban districts. So it's like when you're looking at Georgia, what what flipped or was it both or, or what happened there to at least so far deliver it for Biden and possibly uh, for two Democratic senators? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. Like, you know, the suburbs, we started to get some indication of a shift happening in the suburbs back in 2016 in Georgia. Like in, in 2016, we had... Um, you know, Gwinnett County, I'm sure you guys have heard a lot about Gwinnett County. It's located northeast of Atlanta. It's like, you know, it started off the decade majority white. Now it's majority non-white. So in 2016, it flipped to Hillary Clinton. She became the first Democrat to carry that county since Jimmy Carter back in 1976. So that that was kind of the first big warning sign that there was a shift going on in the Atlanta suburbs. And um, this time around, it voted for Biden by double digits. <laughs> so it was like Biden 58, 41, 58, 40. So it was a landslide of, you know, Gwinnett County, you know, there's a, it used to be like, you know, a Republican stomping ground, like, you know, conservative politics, like, you know, it used to be like the stomping ground of the Georgia Republican Party. Now it's drifting away from that, you know, from that, you know, title. It's becoming a, 
It's becoming an increasingly diverse, increasingly blue county. So, um, and it's not just Gwinnett County. My home county, Cobb County, has also seen a similar shift. In 2016, it flipped to Hillary Clinton. She became the first um, Democrat to carry it since Jimmy Carter. So, and this time around, it also voted for Biden by double digits. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of these, not just in Georgia, but across the country. We're seeing all of these suburban counties, like, you know, they used to be Republican strongholds. And now they're becoming increasingly competitive, increasingly affluent, diverse, wealthy, educated. So they're starting. So as these, as these counties become more diverse and educated, like, you know, the politics in these counties start to change as well. So I think that's what we're seeing in these counties. But um, as for new voters, um, Stacey Abrams has, you know, prioritized registering new voters and bringing voters to the polls who have never voted before. This was her strategy in 2018, but um, this, this, was her, this was her strategy in the 2018 midterm elections when she was running for governor, but um, she fell short um, by like 55,000 votes. But this time around, um, I'd say that her organization was very successful in bring, bringing new voters to the polls because we saw record turnout in Georgia this year, not just in Georgia, but across the country. But um, yeah, specifically in Georgia, we um, saw, you know, record turnout in all these in various counties. And um, Stacey Abrams, her organization has kind of, you know, pioneered the idea of, OK, we're not going to win, um, you know, these you know Republicans and Republican moderates. We're going to win these voters who have never voted before. We're going to get these voters who have who rarely vote and who have never voted before. So that's what she has prioritized. She and her organization, that's what they have prioritized over the last two years. And I'd say that it's starting to pay off for them. And, and though, I guess the, the counter of that is that Georgia barely flipped. So, you know, if there was all this up, up, up increase of, of Democratic votes, uh, there also must have been a really big uh, energy behind the Republican side as well. Yeah, I'd say because um, President Trump, he, you know, he did he did um, get more votes in Georgia than he did previously. Like, you know, he got the nationwide. He got more votes than he did in 2016. So um, I'd say that his base was fired up as well. But um, the Georgia Secretary of State said something really interesting yesterday. Brad Raffensperger, he's been in the, he's been in the news a lot lately. He basically said yesterday that um, there were like twenty eight thousand voters 28,000, something like 24, 28,000 Republican primary voters who voted by mail in the in the June primary earlier this year, who did not turn out to vote this time around in November. So he basically where he's going, where he was going with that was, okay, like, you know, if these voters had turned out to vote, um, maybe President Trump would have won the state. So what he's saying is President Trump delegitimized his own chances in Georgia by, um, by, um, you know, sowing doubt on mail-in voting. I actually um, broke this down earlier. Um, mail-in voting, Biden want, like, you know, of the Georgia Secretary of State, it allocates how um, Jordans voted, which is really helpful. So um, mail-in voting went to Biden, like, you know, absentee mail-in voting was like Biden 64-34. Um, it made up like 26% of the total vote. In-person voting, election day voting, day of voting, it was like Trump 60-40. So, um, yeah, so Trump supporters, like, so, so Trump, he basically, um, you know, prioritized, like, okay, you, ha you have to vote on election day. Like, if you have, if you have super high turnout on election day, we'll win, we'll win Georgia and we'll win the election. Like, that ended up not being the case. So, um, so the Georgia Secretary of State, I'd say that he had a point when he said that um, delegitimizing mail-in voting kind of undermined his, um, President Trump's chances in the state. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about. So, it'll be interesting to see how, 
not, you know, not just President Trump, but the Republican base, how they plan on voting and if they plan on voting in the Republican in the um, Senate runoffs in January. So we'll see how that works out. I, I promise we'll get off Georgia soon or maybe not. <laughs> all eyes, all eyes are on Georgia right now uh, as we hold our breath come January. If you're joining us live and you have a question or comment for Niles, send them through and we'll get them to him. Um, I'm kind of afraid or maybe not to ask you what you think of then, you know, the president's most recent tweet about Georgia and his, <laughs> his statement it's, it's about it. You have to be more specific. Well, yeah, right. I know he tweets every other um, second, but I mean, you know, his tweet about Georgia flipping. And if that, at this point, I don't know who's paying attention, but do you feel that it, it may have, you know, his, in his quest to discredit the election process and the results, if any of these types of comments or statements are making an impact to voters? Well, that's one thing I'm going to be watching in these runoffs, like whether or not his, you know, attempt to delegitimize mail-in voting, whether um, the Republican the Republican base, you, you know, we've seen poll after poll saying that um, Republicans, you know, by and large, Republicans do not believe that the election was fair. So it'll be interesting to see whether that and um, President Trump's comments on mail-in voting will have an impact on the January runoffs. Like, will, will Trump's base turn out to vote for David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, or will they sit out because they don't trust the election process? Um, that will be something to you know keep an eye on as those run- as these runoffs get closer. We do have some questions from the audience. Uh, one is, what surprised you most in the recent election, um, and then specifically, what did you get right and what did you get wrong? Well, I went into the night hoping that, well, not hoping, um, you know, anticipating that um, Democrats would gain seats in the House. That ended up not being the case. They ended up having a net loss of, so far, I think it's eight seats. So um, that's one thing that I um, that I got wrong. And that's, you know, not just me, but a lot of other election forecasters as well. Um, like, you know, everyone was anticipating a Democratic net gain in the House, and that ended up not being the case. But as for what I got right... Um, I'd say Democrats flipping Georgia's seventh district. I'd say that's something I got right. Um, as soon as that seat opened up, like, you know, after the retirement of the Republican congressman who holds that seat, he retired after facing a close race in 2018. Um, so I basically said that, okay, the seat is going to flip now that it's an open seat. It's located in Gwinnett County, which we you know, spent a little t- spent a little bit of time talking about here. Um, so I'd say that that's something I ended up getting right. Um, I'm, you know, I anticipated that that seat would flip, um, you know, as soon as it became an open seat. So um, I'd say that um, that's something I ended up getting right. So, you know, that specifically anyway. What about um, your thoughts on the overall election results? I mean, some people were quite surprised by how many folks voted for President Trump. And, you know, as you had mentioned earlier, we're expecting a, a Biden or blue landslide uh, up and down the ballot, but mainly talking about the presidency. Did it surprise you that so many people did come out and vote for President Trump? I want to say not really, because he's done a really great job of, you know, energizing his base. He's, you know, say what you want about Trump, but he's really good at that, energizing his base. But um you know, I, you know, I, the way I the way I see it is, it's not just Democrats who were energized to vote. Everyone was energized to vote. Everyone wanted to vote. So, um, 
I wouldn't say that um, I was. I won't say that I was surprised by how many votes he ended up getting nationwide. Um, but I, you know, I will say that, like you know, everyone, like you know, regardless of who they were voting for or who they supported, everyone was energized to vote. Um, so, and I will say that the fact that you know, despite like you know the fact that we're facing a you know pandemic of unprecedented circumstances, like you know, two hundred fifty thousand Americans and counting have died from this have died from this pandemic. Um, the fact that we were facing that and several other, um, you know, factors, the fact that millions of Americans found a way to exercise their right to vote, regardless of who they were voting for, the fact that millions of Americans found a way to exercise their right to vote was pretty inspiring, regardless of who they were voting for. So maybe this is be a two-part question. One, assuming now that Georgia has flipped, do you think Georgia will stay blue? Or at least on you know, the major races, and two, what is the next state do you think that might flip either in either direction? I mean, obviously, a lot of attention has been focused on Texas over the years, and that's always it's always seemingly on the horizon. But what do you think? Yeah, well, Georgia, in terms of will it stay blue? Um, the thing about trends is, you know, most trends don't reverse. Like, you know, regardless of like the national environment, like you know, the trends that the trends that we've seen in like Gwinnett County and Cobb County. I don't think those are going to reverse, but I will say that Georgia is not is not the solidly red state that it was like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Like it's an increasingly competitive state. Georgia uh, Democrats have always been optimistic about Georgia because of the population growth in the Atlanta suburbs, the um, changing demographics. They've always been optimistic about Georgia. And this is the year they finally you know, flip the state. So um, in terms of will it stay blue, it will be competitive over the next decade. Make no mistake about that. Um, I'm not sure um, if it will stay like, you know, blue, but I know for a fact that it's going to be an increasingly competitive state from, you know, for the for the rest of this decade. So we'll see what happens there. But in terms of the next state that will flip out, like, you know, you mentioned Texas. Democrats were optimistic about Texas going into the election, but they ended up not winning it in part because of um, uh, Vice President Biden's um, you know weakness with Hispanic voters, particularly in South Texas, the uh, Rio Grande Valley. Um, so if Democrats are going to flip Texas, they'll need to get better numbers with those Hispanic voters. Like Biden got the numbers that he needed in the, like, you know, Houston and Dallas suburbs. He got the numbers that he needed there. It was his numbers with like, you know, Hispanics along the South Texas border that really killed his chances in the state. So, um, I'd say that if Democrats want to win Texas, they need to, um, do a better job of, um, you know, reaching out to those Hispanic and Latino voters in South Texas, because like I said, the suburbs, Biden got the numbers that he needed up in those suburban areas in Texas. It was those, it was his poor numbers in South Texas that um, killed his chances in the state. Earlier, you mentioned the 2022 uh, elections. And so staying on that topic, kind of any, any crystal ball reading for <laughs> another election and, and the Democrats really, you know, who, again, like you had mentioned earlier, a little bit of an upset, lost some seats in the House, uh, think that we'll have a chance to, to gain our seats or continue losing seats or what are your thoughts? Well, it's hard to say. I'd say that Democrats start, you know, 2022 off as the underdog because like, you know, usually the, you know, the president's party usually always starts, you know, midterm seasons at a disadvantage. So, um, and it's not just that um, Republicans will be in charge of redistricting in several important states. Like they still control redistricting in Texas, Georgia, Ohio, several important states. So 
I'd say that they start off at a disadvantage in 2022. Like, you know, whether or not they um, end up gaining seats or losing seats, you know, remains, um, that remains to be seen and, will, you know, depend a lot on the national environment and um, how the COVID recovery goes. It'll depend on a lot of things, but I will say that 2022 Democrats, it's hard to say, it's hard to see how Democrats don't start off at a disadvantage. So. Yeah, someone in the audience had asked about the mid the midterms in 2022, and specifically about the impact of redistricting. Um, and I guess I would throw out there just what, how big of an impact do you think voter suppression has had uh, in our politics over the last say four years? I mean, I think it's been argued, of course, that Stacey Abrams would be your governor right now if that were not the case. Yeah, so um, voter suppression, um, it's a very complicated issue because, like, you know, there are, you know, several different ways that, you know, votes can be suppressed. Um, but that's, you know, something that people like, you know, John Lewis and, you know, civil rights icons like John Lewis and Martin Luther King Jr. have spent their entire lives fighting against. Um, we're still, see- unfortunately, seeing the impacts of it to this day. But, um Voter suppression, it's like I said, it's a very complicated issue. You'll have, um, it's one of those questions where you'll have to be more specific in like the types of voter suppression that we've seen. But um, I'd say that all in all, all in all, like, you know, we saw, um, you know, millions of people like, you know, we saw record turnout in very in, you know, most most states this year. So um, Americans found a way to vote. So um, and most states um, made it really easy to vote, like, you know, whether it was by mail or early or in person, you know, what have you. Um, So I'd say that um, voter suppression, it probably had some impact, but um, it did not stop millions of voters from turning out to vote. John had mentioned polling earlier. Um, what do you think went wrong with the polls? Uh, you know, did it seem like it was quite the opposite in terms of what the polls were saying? Well, down ballot, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if going forward we saw, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, congressional campaigns, Senate campaigns, House camp. I wouldn't be surprised if they spent less money on polling going forward, um, both, um, because like, you know, you know, like you guys mentioned, um, down, you know, down the ballot, um, polling was just like, you know, we saw the exact opposite of, you know, for the most part, we saw the exact opposite of what these polls were saying, but the presidential race polling was not, I wouldn't say polling was that bad. Like, you know, Georgia in particular, um, you know, polling in Georgia was within the margin of error for months and it ended up being a very close state. Of course, Biden ended up winning the state, but it ended up being a very close state. And, um, so I wouldn't say, like, you know, in terms of, like, you know, the presidential level, like, you know, the president's approval rating favorable numbers tend to be a really good indicator of, you know, how the president will do when he runs for reelection. And the president's numbers were underwater and he ended up losing reelection. So um, I'd say that at the presidential level, polling was not so bad. It was more down ballot polling that was kind of, you know, you know, that kind of missed the mark. Someone in the audience asks, uh Specifically, what types of things are you going to be looking at over the next few couple of years and leading into both 2022 and 2024? I mean, what what trends and what uh, even election technology issues? I mean, what are the, the key things that you think will have an impact for at least kind of being able to get insight into where the American electorate is moving? 
Well, one thing I will be looking at is whether or not these suburban trends that we've been seeing for the last few years, do they keep trending blue or do they become more competitive now that Trump is out of the picture? Because, you know, Trump was a historically bad fit for these suburban areas. So does he, um, like, you know, now that he's out of the picture, do these suburban areas go back to being more competitive or do they continue zooming left as the population continues to grow in these areas? So that's one thing I'll be watching. Um and, you know, like we mentioned, like we were talking about earlier, like, you know, what would be the next state to, you know, flip after being, you know, so firmly with one party for the better part of the last 20 years? Like, you know, this time it was Georgia um, and, and Arizona, for that matter. Um, so, you know, what will be the next state to, um, you know, kind of, you know, you know, you know, change parties after being dominated by one party for, for the better part of two decades? So that's another thing I'll be watching heading into these future elections as well. I think one of the things that surprised me, I guess personally, um, is staying on. You know, the, what I brought up earlier. Some people uh, shocked at the amount of people who are voting for President Trump, but also trying to understand, like even with diverse communities and how they were voting, and, and people, you know, going back and forth arguing, well, they're voting against, you know, their own personal interests. Um, one thing's for sure, we're divided now more than I've ever experienced and love to hear your thoughts on you know, the cause of this division. If you think that it'll, it'll continue to rise or, you know, with the, the, the different types of folks who are now running for office. I mean, even looking at um, it, my interest in looking at like LGBTQ folks who are running, you're seeing folks who are a little bit more left or, or progressive than some of the more established, you know, uh, Democrats who ran, ran in the past. So I would love your overall thoughts on this division. And if we think that it might continue in the next, you know, four years, at least. Yeah. So um, like you mentioned, like, you know, this is a bitterly divided country and this election has only proved that. Um, like, you know, it seems like, you know, I don't, you know, I wasn't around at, you know, when, when like, you know, the Pearl Harbor attack happened or like, you know, I was, you know, 9-11, you know, the 9-11 attacks happened two months before I was born. So after those events, like, you know, after those tragic events, for the, for the most part, to my understanding, Americans came together, like Americans were unified, like, you know, these days, like, you know, we're facing the worst pandemic of our lifetimes, like, you know, we're facing a, you know, a president who um, just lost reelection and, you know, will not concede. Um, so these days, like, you know, you would think for things like that, we would see like, you know, wide, you know, widespread, you know, you know, the country will be united after things like that. Like, you know, we're not seeing that this time. Like, you know, for the, you know, when it comes to the coronavirus, like health officials are getting death threats. Health officials are getting death threats. And even when, um, you know, vo- you know, votes are still being counted in several states, we're seeing election officials, secretaries of state receiving death threats. So um, this country is incredibly divided. And I can't, I, you know, don't believe we were, um, you know, I can't really speak to this because, you know, I wasn't, you know, around at the time, but I don't believe we were, this divided after things like, you know, Pearl Harbor, the Civil War, 9-11. I don't think we were ever this divided after, you know, those, you know, events took place. But um, will it continue? Um, Unfortunately, I can't see it getting better anytime soon. Like, you know, we're always going to have half the country who who believes one thing and half the country who believes, you know, the exact opposite. And, um, you know, people are going to express their disagreements, unfortunately, through, um, you know, 
violent and you know unnecessary circumstances they will go to unprecedented levels to express their disagreements with with other people so um i don't want to say that things um won't get better i hope they do but um you know this is an incredibly divided country and um i really i'm not really that optimistic about things you know getting better anytime soon unfortunately as much as i would like them to um, this country, like, you know, you know, when it comes to this pandemic, like, you know, people are um, like, you know, you know, just simply wearing masks is a partisan issue. Like, you know, that's not something that should be partisan. Um, practicing social distancing, like literally every aspect of the pandemic, like, you know, every aspect of the pandemic that we need to, um, you know, the, the guideline, every single guideline that we should be following to stay safe has been politicized in one way or another. So um, I want to say that um, things I want to say that things will get better in the future, but um, considering the way like this pandemic has been politicized, the way this election has been, um, you know, handled by, you know, several people who, um, you know, disagree with, with, with several outcomes of several races, I just, um, I, I hope things get better, but, um, cons- you know, considering all that we've seen this year, um, you know, I really don't see it, unfortunately. Speaking of divisions, uh, the Democratic Party has... Uh, long maintained a lead among women voters over male voters, and the Republican Party has really become the, you know, talk about the gender gap really in both parties, the Republican Party increasingly a uh, male-oriented party. Um, Do you think that will continue? Do you see that, is that a significant role, or is that basically an overall wash between the two parties, do you think? Well, Republicans, um, I don't know if you guys have have followed this, but... um, Every single Republican who has flipped a seat, flipped a Democratic-held seat in the um, House so far this year, has been either a woman or a minority. I don't know if you guys have followed that. So um, Republicans, they seem to be, um, to their benefit, they seem to be doing, you know, pretty well with, um, you know, recruiting female candidates or minority candidates. And you know, I commend them for that. Like, you know, in South Carolina. Um, I'll focus on South Carolina, you know, just use South Carolina's first district as an example. That's where you had a, um, you know, Democrat Joe Cunningham. He lost reelection to, um, to, um, you know, Republican state representative Nancy Mace. She was, um, you know, the first, she's the first Republican woman that South Carolina has ever sent to Congress. So um, I will say that Republicans have been, you know, they've been doing better with recruiting um, female and uh, minority candidates. And I hope that continues because, um, I will say that both parties are in desperate need of, you know, diversity and, you know, both gender and racial diversity. I will say that. um, So I'd say the more, you know, minority voices, the more female voices that um, that these parties have, like, you know, in office or uh, running for office, the better it is for their messaging. And like, you know, the better it is for them to reach out to um, female and minority voters. So I hope that Republicans continue, um, you know, recruiting these um female candidates, these minority candidates, I'm, you know, I'm, I make no secret that I'm not a Republican, but, um, you know, the, you know, if they keep continue, continue recruiting these, um, female candidates, these minority candidates, they'll, um, do a better job of reaching out to female and minority voters. So I hope that they continue, you know, recruiting these types of candidates. This is a little off, uh, track of what you, you do, which is reading numbers and having, you know, uh, a much more, pragmatic and realistic approach to your analysis. But I do stay up late at night thinking about certain things. Like, for example, 
what uh, Mitch McConnell might be doing or thinking with regards to the Georgia runoffs and the the results. And I'm pretty sure of it. You know, he's got he's doing what he needs to do. Um, have you been following at all? Kind of, I know that so much is riding on the results of the runoffs, and so just wondering if you're hearing anything through the eyes of those in, uh, you know, using Twitter. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Republicans in Washington, they're very, very concerned about those two seats, and rightfully so. Um, you know, they have several um, Republican senators, um, you know, making trips to Georgia um, over the um, course of these runoffs. Like, you know, last week, both of Florida senators, um, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio, they both made trips to Florida to, uh, not not Florida, uh, trips to Georgia to um, stump for um, Leffler and uh, Purdue. Um, and this week, um, we have Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton coming to Georgia to campaign for Leffler and Purdue. So Republicans in Washington, they're very concerned about, like, you know, the, uh, you know, the stakes in these runoffs. Like Georgia, I've said for a while now that Georgia, we've had runoffs before, but never with the stakes this high, like, you know, never with control of the Senate, you know, riding on, <laughs> riding on the results. So um, I don't believe the stakes have ever been that high before. I, I follow some of the folks over at the Bulwark, which for those of you who don't know that th these are a lot of anti-Trump Republicans or former Republicans. Um, and it, you, you're hearing increasingly from them, they're, they're really kind of like, pleasantly surprised by Georgia's uh, Secretary of State as a Republican who is, uh, at least in, in part, standing up against uh, some of the intimidation. Um, actually, someone just asked a question from the audience. What do you think of Lindsey Graham's call to the Georgia Secretary of State? Should he be brought up in charges in the Senate? Well, I will I will say that um, all I'm going to say about this, I, you know, I really haven't weighed in, weighed in on this much. Um, all I'll say, all I'm going to say about this is I don't know what business a senator from South Carolina has talking with the Georgia Secretary of State. So that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Michelle. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you had uh, gone into this saying this is what I want to do. I want to be an election forecaster, or you know, it, it just kind of happened. I know you know you celebrated 10,000 Twitter followers. Um, and now you're over 20,000 followers. What do you, is, is this it? Like this is, this is living the dream or there, is there more or will we see you on TV anytime soon? I know, you know, it, being a contributor to decision desk, I mean, that was the result of people following you and your popularity rising on Twitter. What do you think? Well, I will say that I really enjoy you know, this, it's, you know, it allows me to um, interact and, you know, meet and, you know, have conversations with a wide range of people. Um, I will say that um, I do not know if this is something that I want to do, for, you know, you know, as I grow older right now, I just see it as kind of like a hobby. I get to learn all sorts of things about various, like, you know, elections and places and counties and districts and states i get to learn about things and i get to teach others about these places so i think it's you know i think it's very it's very rewarding in the sense that i get to learn things and i get to you know teach these things to other people so i'd say it's a very rewarding experience and like you know i'm not really in this for the um like you know the interviews or the you know article profiles 
Um, I'm just doing this because I like doing it. I think it's fun. I get to learn from it and I enjoy doing it. So, um, like, you know, it's not something that I'm really, um, that I, it's not something, I don't know if I want to do it for the rest of my life. I just, (laughs) I just like doing it right now because, um, like, you know, you know, elections, like, you know, you know, election, like, you know, we have a lot riding on the Georgia runoffs. So, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be really important over the next few um, weeks. But um, right now, I just really enjoy doing it because it allows me to, um, you know, learn about all these different places and states. And I get to teach, I get to, um, you know, teach these, you know, talk to others about these places as well. So I'd say it's very, it's a very rewarding experience for me. Do I want to keep doing it? I don't know, but the selection, I you know, the selection, I really see it. This selection, I really see it as just the beginning of like you know a new you know a new and exciting you know chapter in terms of like you know what I want to do and like you know elections themselves. So like you know, we'll see if this is. I don't know if this is something that I want to pursue, but um, right now I just enjoy doing it. Right now I just see it as a hobby. Just a hobby. But how did you get involved as a contributor to Decision Desk? Did they reach out to you and find you, or did you? go out and look for a place to uh, become a part of beyond just tweeting or writing about it yourself? Well, some, you know, very, some people that I've gotten to know very well, they got their starts off at um, decision desk as well. I'm not going to name, name anyone by name here, but um, um, a lot of people that I've gotten to know very well over the last few months and years, they've gotten their, um, they, you know, you know, they first, you know, got their first real experience in election forecasting and results at Decision Desk, at, at Decision Desk HQ. So, um, you know, those people and um, also like, you know, I got, you know, I had the opportunity to, um, you know, like, you know, right around the Georgia primary back in June, I believe it was, I got to um, have a conversation with the people at Decision Desk and they were like, hey, like, you know, would you want to come on as a contributor? And um, I said, um, yes. So ever since then, I've been, you know, writing for them and, um, you know, analyzing elections for them. And I really enjoy doing it. So, Speaking of people reaching out to you and meeting all these people on Twitter, I, I, you know, Twitter's scary <laughs> to me no, just because... Um, you just don't know, like, you know, who you're going to end up talking to. But any interesting people that you've met through this whole adventure and the election, anyone, you know, kind of like you were shocked or surprised to hear from and maybe a, a new relationship, friendship or collaboration that you're excited about? Mm, well, like I'm you know, reluctant to name anyone by name, but I will since I've been on TV with him before, I'll, I guess I'll use Craig Melvin as an example. I was um on his show back in September, um, one of his producers reached out to me and I had the opportunity to be on his show. So I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that. And, um, he's been following the things that I do, um, ever since, ever since my, um, appearance on his show, um, he's, um, sent me positive, you know, tweets on Twitter. And I really enjoy that. Like, you know, I really didn't expect a, you know, cable news host to be (laughs) following the things that I do so closely. So, um, yeah, that's one of those, one of those um, relationships or, um, you know, friendships that I guess you could say um, that, you know, has been um, the most um, impactful over the last few weeks. Have you ever had anyone who was either part of a campaign or just in the general public try to pressure you to change what you're saying about a, uh, about a poll or a campaign, how it's going, anything like that? And that's one of those things that, like, you know, I like to keep in, I like to keep private. But, um, yes, I have been, um, you know, I, you know, I do a lot of candidates, a lot of campaigns, campaign staffers, they, um, 
they follow the things that I do and they really enjoy my analyses of, you know, races. And if they ever disagree with me, if they ever disagree with the things that I say, um, they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, I think you should reconsider this. I think you should reconsider that. Um, so, um, yeah, I say I have been, um, contacted by several candidates and campaigns across the country, not just in Georgia, but across the country about, you know, their, about their races, about their elections. And, um, I'm not going to really go into detail about the conversations that I have with them, but um, they have all said that they really enjoy the work that I do. And um, they'll be sure to um, note if they have any disagreements with the things that I say or the things that I tweet about their races. So that's one of, I guess you could say that's one of the, um, one of the uh, downsides of having such a large following is having like, you know, all these campaign staffers watching the things that you say about their, um, about their candidates and about their races. So I guess you could say that's one of the downsides. Sorry about that earlier, folks. Of course, um, I'm a, a <laughs> victim of internet instability, which m many of us may have, have experienced through this pandemic. Uh, Niles, as we're running down on time, I think you know what would be great is to hear your insights on uh, the future election. It, we saw some some things happen, right? Like voter turnout. Uh, you know, people really being able to exercise their their right, finding a way to do it. So more mail-in ballots, more early voting, you know, all this stuff. I, I, I would love to hear kind of, do you think that this will continue being the trend, will continue, um, you know, focusing a whole bunch on our, our election? I hope so. But what do you think are some of the, the changes you know, going forward with American politics and elections? Well, like, you know, this election was pretty unique because we never we've like, you know, most of us have never voted in an election during a pandemic. So um, in terms of um, like, you know, the, you know, the big question I have is one of the one of the big questions I have is like, OK, will um, Americans continue using vote by mail now that they've gotten to see how easy it is and how um and how and how easy it is to um, vote by mail. Like you know, you can you know, if you're scared of um, sending it back in the mail, you can take it to one of the local drop boxes. Will they continue doing that, or will they go back to voting in person like they did before all of this? So, um, I guess you could say that's one of the things I'll be watching um, in terms of like you know, um, elections going forward and um, turnout going forward. I will say that um, I. I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to continue to see high turnout in these elections. I do not see like, you know, interest. I, I do not see interest in these elections just, you know, dropping off after, you know, after this election. I will. I think that um, we're going to continue to see record turnout. I, we're going to continue to see, um, you know, Americans vote in numbers that they've never voted before and they, you know, that they've never voted before. So um, and like I mentioned, we've talked a lot about Stacey Abrams, like, you know, trying to register new voters. I think, like, you know, her idea of, you know, her plan to, like, you know, bring all these new voters to, to the polls, I think, she, I, you know, I think that strategy is going to pay off, in, you know, not just in Georgia, but across the country, regardless of, regardless of who you may be voting for or who you may be supporting in a given election. I think we're going to continue to see, like, you know, you know interest in these elections um, increase, and um, I don't see that fading away in the near future. I don't. You mentioned earlier on the, in the program that you had just turned 19, so obviously 18 last year. Um, just kind of your personal feelings or thoughts as you voted for the first time. And, I mean, what was it like? And, and you know, our, our, a lot of us were kind of brought up as, as this being a very emotional kind of important civic duty. And for a lot of folks, it's just uh, something they have to do. Um, what was it like for you as someone who both really has insight into this as well as 
being a first time voter? Well, I will say that, like, you know, my experience. So what I did in the presidential election was I requested an absentee ballot and took it to one of the local drop boxes here in my county. So um, my ballot was counted. <laughs> like, you know, that was not the way I imagined, you know, voting for the first time. I thought I would be, um, you know, going into the polling place and like, you know, getting the cool I voted sticker. That's the way I imagined my first time voting um, in a presidential election that ended up not happening. But um, like, you know, I was you know glad to be able after following elections for so long, I was glad to finally cast my first vote. Um, and I will say that the int- the interest in uh, like, you know, young people in particular, they um, I noticed that they've gotten very involved in elections over the last few um, weeks and months. Part of what I think sparked this is the um, tragic and unfortunate um, killings of people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I think after those, I've said this a lot, I think after those instances, after those incidents, those tragic and horrific um, incidences, um, young people started, you know, raising awareness to like, okay, like, you know, if you don't like the, um, like, you know, the people who make these decisions as to like who gets charged in these murders and these killings, the people who make these decisions are local prosecutors, local elected prosecutors. So I think young people started realizing like, okay, if we don't like these decisions, if we don't like like, you know, the decisions being made in these cases, we can elect new people to make these decisions. So um, like, you know, I think that, you know, says that, that, you know, that just goes to show that elections all the way down to the local level they have an impact. Like, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about like, you know, the Senate and the presidential race and like, you know, who controls the house. We spend a lot of time talking about that and not, not enough time talking about like these local judicial and um, local positions, like, you know, district attorneys, like, you know, county judges, like, you know, these, these positions are important because they have an impact on you. So I think younger people in particular, they started raising awareness to like, you know, the impact that these local prosecutors have on like, you know, who gets, who gets charged in these various cases whenever we see like a horrific and unfortunate, you know, incident, like, you know, like what we saw with, um, what we saw with George Floyd. Um, I think, um, I I think younger people are going to start, um, like, you know, holding these elected officials accountable whenever they see or do something that, um, whenever they do something that, you know, they don't agree with. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that this is one of those things where I hope it continues heading into future elections. So we'll see, you know, you know, I just think part of it is, you know, has to do with like, you know, spending a lot of time at home, like, you know, we're all stuck at home, like, you know, because of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic. So a lot of us have been spending a lot of time on the internet. So, um, you know, you know, we've been have we've been having discussions with friends and, um, you know, people online about like, you know, you know, the decisions that are being made in these various cases. So I feel like, um, like, you know, you know, I hope that once the pandemic is over and we're back to like, you know, holding like, you know, back to our normal day to day lives. I hope that, like, you know, we continue holding these, like, you know, I, I hope younger people continue holding these elected officials accountable. Like, you know, whether you hold town halls or, like, you know, organize rallies or things like that, just just to let these elected officials know that, um, hey, like, you know, we see what you're doing and, you know, we may not like it, so we're going to recruit someone to run against you and, like, you know, things like that. I'm hoping that things like that continue heading into future elections. And I'm really, I'm really inspired by the um, enormous turnout among young people and the interest that they've shown in these elections, like time and time again, like, you know, they've always said like, Oh, our vote doesn't count. Like, you know, our vote isn't important. I think we're starting to see a change of heart in that attitude now. And I'm really inspired by that. And I hope it continues heading into future elections. Do you ever see yourself having interest in running for office? Um, 
that's not something I plan on doing because um, <laughs> I've seen like, you know, I've seen local campaigns and like, you know, congressional campaigns up close myself. I know that running for office is not easy. <laughs> running for office is not easy. Like, you know, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of the candidates. It takes a lot out of the campaign staffers. Running for office is not easy. And um, I don't really know if I want to, um, you know, you know, go through all of that right now. I'm, you know, I've been through a lot already. Um, like, you know, I can't imagine the stress of being on a campaign or being, being a candidate in a campaign. I can't imagine, you know, the level of stress that that takes on like, you know, the candidates and the campaign staffers. But, um, I will say that, um, right now I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy, um, you know, interacting with several, like, you know, election prognosticators, forecasters, reporters, analysts, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy learning all you know sorts of different things about like you know various elections, states, counties, trends. I enjoy learning about these things and talking about these things. So um, I'd say that I'm more interested in the um, in this side of the elections rather than being on the actual campaigns themselves. So um, um, right right now I you know right now I just enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy um, talking with all sorts of different people every day. It's like, you know, you know, talking with like, you know, all these major election forecasters. That's not something that I saw myself doing a year ago. Like, you know, I didn't expect to be, um, you know, talking with like, I don't know, um, Dave Wasserman on Twitter. I didn't expect to be like, you know, interacting in Twitter threads with Dave Wasserman. And that's not something I expected. That's not something that I saw myself doing a year ago. So um, I really enjoy doing it. Um, I'm not sure if I want to continue doing it. But right now I just see it as like, you know, being that like, you know, this election has been so like, you know, consequential and pivotal. Right now, I just see it as, you know, something that I enjoy doing. I just see it as a fascinating hobby, getting to learn about all of these various states and, you know, trends and what have you. I really enjoy doing it. So um, whether or not I want to continue doing it remains to be seen. Um, I think I'll have a better idea after the Georgia runoffs. But in terms of running for office myself, that's not something that I want to put myself through right now. So. Uh, just a couple more questions before we turn you back to, to Twitter. And it's been so great, you know, to, to chat with you. I think that you are probably, well, let me put it this way. I think that some people are fearful of voices like yours and folks like you, especially when you can lead a new generation, you know, thinking of your own and making your own decisions. Cause that was always one of the things that I had wondered, like why voter suppression? Um, and, and not getting the right people out there. Do you think that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party will have, you know, major change as we move ahead in our politics? In terms of like getting younger people, like, you know, more involved in these processes? Is, is, and even their positions on, on issues, I, I, you know, and what I'm getting at is I think the even the Democratic Party and some younger folks being elected to office and joining the the party have different positions on certain issues. Um, and then, uh, you know, that could be the, the same, or we could say the same with the Republican uh, Party with having somebody like a President Trump elected. And so it just seems like this might be, this election might be a uh, look at ourselves in the mirror and what do our party stand for and if we're evolving and changing, if this is the point in time we say, yes, these parties are going to be different going forward. 
Mm. Well, um, one of the things that I, I've said this a lot as well, um, one of the things that I admire about um, not just uh, um, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, not just her, but um, several younger uh, politicians and lawmakers across the country. Like, you know, the thing that I admire about them is like, you know, the fact that they um, the fact that they use social media to, um, you know, kind of like, you know, let people let let their audience know what's going on in their government. Like, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, like how these bills get passed, how like, you know, how they, you know, how things work in like, you know, the Capitol and like, you know, very, you know, various other, you know, place, you know, government buildings. So that's one of the things I admire about, um, you know, younger politicians. I will say that I hope that um, I hope because people like um, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell and, um, you know, you know, President elect Biden and President Trump, they're not getting any younger. So um, <laughs> I hope that um, they continue to, um, prom- you know, um, support, you know, younger voices, like, you know, younger leaders, like, you know, moving up the ranks in their parties, because at some point, um, you know, that, you know, era of politics, like, you know, like, you know, the Pelosi McConnell era of politics, one of these days, like, you know, that era is going to be gone. One of one of these days, that era is going to be gone. So um, they're going to need like, you know, younger voters, not younger voters, you know, younger, well, yeah, younger voters, but um, younger politicians to, um, you know, younger leaders to like kind of move up in the ranks to, um so, like, you know, carry on the party's message for, like, you know, years to come. Like, you know, like, you know, someone like AOC, she could be around, like, you know, for, um, I don't know, like, you know, a, you know, a good long time if she, because she's, she's only in her 30s. Like, she could feasibly, feasibly be around for a very long time. So, like, you know, people like that are going to be around, you know, longer than people like, um, you know, Speaker Pelosi and, you know, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. So um, I'm hoping that, like, you know, going forward, we do see, you know, more younger voices, younger leaders moving up the ranks in these parties. So um, because if you're going to reach out to younger voters, you need to have younger politicians. (laughs) So I'm I'm hoping that um, they'll continue reaching out to younger voters going forward and, you know, promoting, like, you know, endorsing younger candidates to run for these offices. So. Speaking of uh, internet savvy, uh, I, we do suggest people check you out on Twitter, Niles GA poll, um, and they will learn a very disturbing fact about you. And I have to ask you about it. Um, you don't like lasagna. I mean, what's wrong with you? How can we trust you? I mean, well, that was not the question I was expecting after that lead-in. Like, you know, <laughs> that was not the question I was expecting. Um, I'm, you know, I'm more of a spaghetti person. <laughs> I'll just say that yeah. I'm more of a spaghetti person than lasagna, so um, you know, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> that. That's considered lasagna adjacent, so that's good. <laughs> we forgive you. We forgive you. Niles, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us, and uh, thanks for all the work that you do. Certainly saved me through this election and gotten us you know, to this point where there is hope, and, and your voice of reason and your analysis is amazing and incredible for a lot of us who are super political nerds if you will thank well, you yeah. thank you all yeah thank you well uh thank you guys so much for having me i enjoyed having this discussion with you guys i'm hope like you know I'm, i hope to return like you know as the georgia runoffs get closer maybe after the georgia runoffs i hope to return to kind of like you know <laughs> you know kind of share with your audience like you know what we saw and like you know what happened like go over the results I, you know i'd love i'd love to return i'd love to return i enjoyed oh, having I, awesome. <laughs> you just made my day i love that so with that being said Thank you all for joining us, and um, I'm going to let John have the last words. 
Uh, you can find about, out about more uh, Michelle Meow shows uh, at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS, including one we're putting together that will have to do with a certain U.S. senator who's leaving office and uh, uh, who's going to fill her seat. So uh, do keep a lookout at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. Have a good rest of your week and a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe and home. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed this discussion. Thanks again.